0: Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. The Fulhamish Podcast, your weekly independent Fulham FC audio show. My name is Sammy James and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And by Farrell Monk. Hola. Well, today is a very special show as we are joined by the legendary Breda Hanglin. We've got so much to ask him, everything from him joining the club to the Great Escape, obviously the incredible Europa run as well, and his final years at the club. Um, Just before we speak to Breda, uh, just to say that Fulhamish this season is backed by Ladbrokes. Right now, you can bet five pounds get 20 pounds by following the link at bet.fullamish.co.uk and also just to say that if this is your first time listening to fullamish welcome we're very happy to have you along uh, please give us a subscribe in your favorite podcast app whether that's itunes or something else like aCast. and all of our shows will drop straight into your phone and if you enjoy what you hear please do give us a five-star rating. It really, really helps us reach out to as many Fulham fans as possible. Right, without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to the Fulhamish podcast, Breda Hangeland. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing okay. How are you? Yeah, we're all very good, thank you. Very good. All the better for speaking to uh, a Fulham hero, shall we say. It's better than speaking to people at work. Sorry to those guys. (laughs)
0: So Breda, it's just past 10 years since you signed for Fulham FC, it was the other week. What did it feel like the other day when when so many Whites fans tweeted you with, with positive messages?
2: Yeah, it was a nice feeling of course. I hadn't I'm not really one for uh for celebrating um stuff like that, but I, I wasn't really aware to be honest until uh until someone uh, tweeted it. So uh yeah, it was nice and uh you know, people always say time passes quickly. I don't think it does. I think it's been a long time since I signed for Fulham and, and lots of things have happened. So uh uh it's probably the most um, interesting 10 years of my life and I'd be surprised if, uh, if another period of 10 years brings more than, than that period.
1: Indeed so we, we want to bring it right back to that beginning stages really and, and talk about how when you did join Fulham when you joined the club there were obviously lots of clubs who were, were talking about interest in signing you what was it that brought you to Fulham in the first place and, and what appealed about the club at that exact time?
2: well at the time I was at Copenhagen which was uh and still is really the the best club in Scandinavia and um there was some talk and, and rumors and and agents talk about uh, bigger clubs uh, in England and other countries abroad but uh, Fulham was the was the first club really that contacted me with uh, with anything specific and and of course Roy Hodgson was the manager and I knew him from before so um I suppose he was the main reason why uh, why I was uh, attracted to go to Fulham. Um at the time as I'm sure you know we were in a terrible position in the league so uh, it was, it seemed like a bit of a gamble. Uh but um you know when you grow up as a young player you you dream about playing in the Premier League so I I was desperate to go there. I would have probably gone to any club to be honest but uh I'm so happy it was Fulham and uh, and really happy that we managed to stay up that year because uh, for me personally obviously it could have been a very different story had, had we not managed to stay up yeah
3: you mentioned a- about Roy Hodgson and knowing him and you would have known his training methods did you notice that real change as soon as you came in that Roy was trying to change things around the club and around the training the training ground
2: yeah uh, well I had him I had him in Norway for- Uh, when I played for Viking Stavanger and and I knew about about his uh, methods. He's he's obviously very structured and and hard-working and and to be honest, he has the perfect approach, I think, to to, uh, improving a football team and a football club. So, I was uh, very confident about Uh, That side of things but uh, I was not so confident uh, about whether it it would work in time because I think we had something like 18 points uh, or 15 maybe even uh, in January that year and uh, as we know you need to get closer to 40 to have a realistic chance of staying up so that was the big insecurity for me but uh, in terms of his recommendation—he obviously spoke uh, really well of Fulham—and and I could see on Google Maps where Fulham was. <laughs> so, uh, also a nice added bonus. Uh, and I've since uh, learned that uh, that that area of the UK is probably the best place to um, to live. So uh, there was a lot of things. Uh, that told me that this was the right step, um, and uh, I could see as soon as I got there. Really, I could see him, him working as hard as ever to try and improve the team, and and I obviously did my best to to help in that project.
0: Yeah, when we sing Southwest Six is wonderful. We're not, we're not lying, Breda
2: No, 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 far from it. People always ask me, would you not be interested in when when I started playing well in the Premier League? Would you not want to play for a bigger club and and stuff like that? But for me you know even for footballers most of your life is uh, is is a fairly normal life where you uh, live somewhere with your family and you uh, me me personally for sure I want to live somewhere nice where you can have a have an, have a good comfortable safe life and uh, SW6 seems like the right place to be in in the UK
0: Um, Was there always belief that you'd escape relegation that year? There there was lots of low points that season. Surely there must have been times where yourself and the other players felt like there was too much to do.
2: Yeah, um, time was running out, obviously. And and as you know, we only really started uh, putting a a string of games together towards the end, which turned out to be crucial. Uh, So, yeah, there were times during that first um, period where... Where I thought we're not going to make it, and and obviously relegation would have been uh, the consequence. So uh, there were ups and downs uh, and tough times, uh, as it is when you when you're battling the threat of relegation. But I felt I always felt like we're, we're doing this the right way, and we're maximising our chances of uh, of uh, survival in the Premier League. Um, and when you then manage to pull it off in the end, and the way we did it um, in the last game, then it just becomes the perfect. The perfect story, really. So this, uh, that for me is, is, is. I've had a long career in football, but that for me is is the the major highlight. Avoiding relegation is a much better feeling than than to win something, which I've also experienced uh, a couple of times.
1: There's there's a moment that you know a lot of Fulham fans talk about it in that season as a as a huge turning point, which was the return of both Jimmy Bullard and Brian McBride um, coming back from injury. Do you think that in the camp, how how big a moment was that, and did it feel like a, a kind of point where things could kick on from at the time?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, obviously, uh, Jimmy Bullard was he had he had a bit of an X factor. He was a, he was a, he was a player who could do things. Uh, out of nothing and uh, he helped us a lot and and brian mcbride uh, for me even though i play, didn't play that long with him you could tell he, he was just the perfect captain and and to have him to get the boost of his return was uh was crucial uh on and off the pitch really so so uh, those two played a massive part as did everyone else to be fair but yeah, of course you know when i when i look at that team uh, to be honest we 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 weren't the best team <laughs> by any any means so we really need to pull in the, in the same direction and uh, roys guidance was also crucial i'm um, i'm not sure many other managers could have pulled that off the way the way he did
0: describe the the man city game to us that's the iconic game i think of that great escape half time were you and the players aware that you were mathematically relegated were you aware of the results from from elsewhere just describe that second half to us because it it gives me goosebumps just even thinking about it or whenever I watch it again
2: yeah we we were aware and uh, it was a strange half time because the people were screaming and shouting it was desperate really Um, and I remember I remember Roy Hodgson just basically saying that there's nothing to lose now and you have to go and uh, try and do something second half but it's 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 almost incredible to think that the, and this is this is many games before the end, and we actually we had to win that and we had to win the following the following um and then yeah we we played with there was obviously a lot of pressure then but also some kind of freedom because we, you were as low as you could get nothing nothing to lose really so uh to come back in and, and win the way we did, that really gave us uh, the belief that we could uh, we could pull off something uh, extraordinary there.
1: One of the the cornerstones, I suppose, of that season and then following seasons was your partnership with Aaron Hughes, which is affectionately known still in South West Six as the Thames Barrier. And <laughs> um, well, you kind of what was the secret to that, and what what I suppose is the secret to building up a successful. Defensive alliance down the centre of the park.
2: Well, I think first and foremost, he, he uh, Aaron, is is obviously one of my good friends still, and and a great guy, and and top professional. And for me, that was always that was always important. Not just the, the player that they are, but also the the, the type of person. So we uh, we had a good relationship off the pitch, and then obviously the endless hours of uh, of defensive drills with Roy. Uh, hmm. Where um, he would set up, honestly, the whole team attacking against myself and Aaron and a and goalkeeper, which which turned out to be Mark Schwarzer after a while, and then when you're playing. <laughs> Three against 11, you really have to uh, perfect everything. So uh, there was a lot of repetition to the point where we didn't really have to communicate on the pitch. And then another key is obviously I've played so many games with Aaron. Uh, he was never injured. I was never injured. And then you're able to build on that week on week by week, uh, make it uh, make it better. So um I think that was a very important piece in in uh, Roy's puzzle with with that team was was the fact that uh, the two of us and and Mark Schwarzer were all, always available and uh, and we improved uh, game by game uh, year on year uh, so it was a fantastic um, team in the team if you like.
1: It, it feels like that was a, a particularly unique kind of partnership and have you ever had another one like that in your career or, or anything close to it?
2: No, I haven't. To be honest, uh, I've always got along with uh, with uh, the other centre back, whoever that was. Uh, but I've never had uh, the consistency and, and the quality of work and and the understanding uh, that I had with Aaron. It was uh, it was really special, and I think we complemented the what's it called? We because we, uh, I was kind of I would go for more of the challenges, whereas he he would sweep up behind me sometimes and, and we uh, we were a really good partnership uh, in many ways uh, for me that's still a special thing in my career the fact that I uh, played with uh, a centre-back partner for that long and we understood each other that well so we really in a way perfected the art of defending uh, under Roy's guidance I should say because he was, uh, he was the mastermind behind it.
3: Well to us it was definitely a perfect combination and um, building on that success and uh, from the season after we've got into the Europa League and thinking about it when you did get into the Europa League what was the aim what was the aim for the squad did Did Roy say straight from the off right we're going to win it <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or was it let's just get past FK Vectra
2: yeah I think it was the last one uh, really uh, because in the autumn or the, the first part of the season the, the Europa League really is more or less a distraction from the Premier League. You know, our aim was always... We were always battling relegation at some point in, in the season. And, and uh, those games were, were kind of a, a break from the league. Uh, and you had no idea whether you would go far or get knocked out in the group stages. But then... I think because we had good guys in the team, uh, we uh, we didn't moan about having to go away to all those places and play. We we enjoyed it and we used it as a valuable experience to to improve as individuals and and as a team. And then when you go past the group stage, then you see that okay, you start playing some really good teams. But then we we got constant feedback that we were a good team as well, um, and uh, it just it's, we started believing in in going really far and and uh I can see when I watch the games back now I can see we must have been horrible to play against because uh the organisation was fantastic the work ethic was great um and then yeah uh, you realise this could become something special so uh I think that European adventure improved us a lot uh obviously we got better in the league but that was also because we had the experience of playing some, some top uh, European teams, so uh, fantastic stuff.
0: When I see other Premier League teams, ever since we've got to the Europa League final, I've always been amazed at how the slightly smaller teams in the Premier League, you know, the your likes of Everton uh, and Villa, who got there after us as well, always seem to struggle in the Europa League. I know Chelsea went and won it, but do you think another team of Fulham's size could ever achieve what we did again. You saw Everton's performance in the Europa League this year and you realised what a difficult competition it was and just how well we did on our first ever season in the Europa. I know we'd been in the UEFA Cup once, but our first ever proper season.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good point. And, and I think it comes down to to the mentality that we had, not, not just among the players and, and the manager, but also the staff, because they were... During these years, they, they were absolutely fantastic. You have to remember that when you play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, these guys are working uh, almost non-stop, uh, and they're not seeing their families any more than we are. So, uh, I think everyone kind of um, grasped the idea that this is uh, this is something to go for. This is something special, rather than just moan about the games and the travelling. And, and <laughs> I get the feeling the Premier League teams now they, they see it exclusively as, an, as a distraction from the Premier League. Uh, and you have to accept that when if you're going to play in the Europa League, then it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of games. You're going to feel tired. But... Um... I, I feel like in in Fulham during those years, we we kind of just embraced that, and we uh, we tried to push ourselves as far as we could. Um, and sometimes probably our league form suffered a little bit. But uh, would you swap it? No, no chance. Would you swap it? So uh, not for the world. Uh, I, no, no, no. So uh, I think uh, for for any team in England now, I think there's there's too much focus on just the league, and and there's too much excuses um, saying it's hard to play in in different tournaments. Um, I think our case, the, the Fulham case, proves that you can uh, you can have an amazing adventure if you. Uh, if you put your mind to it and, and, and just go for it.
1: On your kind of personal level, in that adventure, you played against some absolutely, you know, wonderful strikers. And strikers have gone on to to dominate the game in some respects. You know, the likes of Edin Dzeko, David Trezeguet who's obviously a legend, and, and Sergio Aguero. Who who was the best of those that you faced, or, or was it someone you know maybe a little bit different? It's
2: hard to, to pick one. I I think back to to all the all the great strikers I faced, and and they're all top players. Um, it's funny to think about the final when we played against Fallan and Aguero and and this 2010 and Fallan went on to become the top scorer in the World Cup and Aguero signed for Man City so they were uh, they were good um, what it proved to me is that you know if uh, I always looked at myself as as a fairly average player I had some good uh, things about my game but I needed to be put in the right system and, and I think that went for most of the players in our team there Uh, you could have put put us in a different team and there's no way we would have been that good. But um, if you organise it well, uh, which Roy did to perfection, then you can cope with the the strikers, the top strikers in the world. Uh, And that's that's been a lesson for me ever since. That uh, organisation is um, organisation, work ethic, pulling in the same direction. Those are absolute key uh, ingredients in, in a successful team.
3: Well, I'm going to take those pointers to my Sunday League team and hopefully we can get uh, make a, a Europa League run chance. Um, <laughs> those things um, took us all the way to Hamburg uh, at the cottage, and it was one nil down with 20 minutes to go, and suddenly the crowd are chanting, "Stand up if you still believe." Did the players hear it? Did, the, did they talk about it afterwards? And do you think stuff like that has an
2: impact on them? Oh yeah definitely. uh you know, I feel like one of the great things about Fulham was that when when you played at the cottage it wasn't just the eleven on uh, on the pitch or, or the manager or, or the or the bench even it was the whole the whole crowd and everyone involved around the game pulled pulled in the same direction and those those European nights really uh stand out for me as a, as special special milestones in in a long career where you definitely got extra energy from from the crowd. Um, you know the Hamburg game, the Juventus game; those are, those are just really magical moments uh, where anyone who was uh, who was present those nights should should feel like they um, they have some of the uh, some of the credit for, for those performances because it really was uh, something bigger than just the team.
0: And then we came up against Atletico in the final. Have you ever had the heart? To watch that back, I, I have, but I know that many, many Fulham fans just just haven't quite had it in them to to go through the heartbreak because we were just so close to something special. But did you watch it back straight afterwards, or was it three months later? Have you have you seen it again?
2: Yeah, highlights I've watched. I've obviously watched the goal uh, that I should have stopped two uh, minutes before the penalty. Absolutely uh, not.
1: We're not having that. No. There was there
2: was well, very little. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I think I it's your goal. It. <laughs> yeah. No. Well. Uh, well. I, well, I, I still. Uh, I'm not one to look back and, and kind of blame myself. But it's. Uh, I really should have done better than it. It's. Uh, when I think about it, it's frustrating because I normally used to just um, uh, run to the first post quicker uh, or before the striker even thought about doing it. But for some reason, maybe it was fatigue, maybe whatever. Um, I let him get half a yard, and that's cost us really. Uh, but uh, no, I don't. I don't watch the games uh, again. I think uh, definitely when you play, you have to. You have to look to the next one. Uh, so we'll see. I'm. I'm still too busy to watch them. But maybe when I'm uh, when I'm stuck in my chair in 40, 50 years' time, then uh, <laughs> it will be time to watch it all back. I think
1: when you when you when you do watch it back, and when when that come that time comes, and you look at that Atletico team. There, You know, there are players there that have gone on to have either been, you know, big forces in world football or have gone on, you know, subsequently to dominate in a number of areas. You look at the likes of De Gea and Asensal and Shamal and they and they're big names in football. And I think that the more we get away from it, the more we kind of forget that this was an exceptional team at the same time. But in that kind of sense, did anyone try and pick up the team, you know, afterwards? Or when did you start to kind of recover from the obviously what was a massive disappointment at the time? And, and did anyone not really recover? Did, were there any players that really, really struggled to get over that moment?
2: No, I think, well, you have to move on. You have to remember this is the last thing that happened in a, in a long season. And then you shoot off to uh, every different corner of the world. Uh, and then obviously Roy left. Uh, when we came back, we had a new manager. There was some changes uh, in the squad. So you just move on, but it's, it's still one of those things. uh, In my mind, it was a fantastic run, but we should have won it. Uh, And that's, that's the feeling I always have when I think about it, because had we gone to penalties, I would have backed us, Uh, even Mm -hmm. though they had a good keeper. I think we had a fantastic keeper. I think Mark Schwarzer on penalties, he would have done something. And we had good, good penalty takers. So, uh, um, obviously, it makes no sense to 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 think back and what if yeah. and, uh, and all that stuff. But uh, we came really close and and we gave a, uh, we gave a great account of ourselves. Um, had I only started running a little bit before, it could have been a different story.
3: It's clear that Diego Forlan was at the top of his game in in terms of the Fulham fans' mind. We don't actually, no one round here thinks, and no Fulham fan I've ever spoken to. Ever thinks of it as a loss. Mm. In our mind, it's it's a victory, and you know, in our mind, we won the Europa League <laughs> just by being there. <laughs> so um you go on to talk about um well, obviously you had, a, you had a different manager when you came back from the summer, and when when Hodgson left, were you ever tempted to think maybe I should move on from now because nothing could have um, topped what you guys had achieved in the season previous?
2: Yeah, I think. Especially looking back, uh, you know, when when Roy left, that was probably that was bound to be the highlight of of the club during that time. Um, for me personally, you know, those those years were so great. Was from when I signed in in 2008 uh, up until the European Cup final, it was just a constant uh, rise of the club and and the team. And for me personally, so. Uh, And we talked about the SW6 as well, which I'd uh, learned to love a little bit by then. So for me, there was never really a question of leaving, Uh, even though at the back of my mind, I I was realistic enough to know that it's probably going to be a bit of a decline from here um, because there's no way we're going to get a better manager. Uh, So chances are we're going to go... sliding downhill a little bit but uh i enjoyed it still and I, I loved fulham uh, from that time on so uh, there, were, there was really no question of leaving uh it was more a case of trying to keep uh roy's ideas and some of that team ethic going um but obviously that proved hard uh, as the years went by because uh in the end there was there was not many left from that time um sadly enough i think because uh you know, um, I think if you took that, took a blueprint of the way we we did things there, we should have just kept that going for, for years and years. And, and I think Fulham would be in the Premier League still if we'd just done that.
1: There is a. A moment so obviously you talk about Roy in, in such glowing terms and and he's felt, held in the same kind of affection at, at Fulham and, and always will be I think but obviously when you did um change managers you came under under Pulis very briefly but also Alan Pardew what are the different kind of styles and and how do those managers compare to Roy and how they kind of set up and and how they how they run a club uh, I suppose from a managerial perspective
2: there's different ways of doing it. Obviously, I think a manager. There's two things to it, really. It boils down to organisation on on the pitch and and your kind of personality and and demeanour off the pitch. And and you know, uh, there, there. I've had many good managers, but for me, Roy was perfect both on and off the pitch. Um, and going back to what I said about Aaron Hughes, for me, it's important to have this this respect for people, uh, not only in their job but but as uh, as people, really, and, and Roy was fantastic there. Yeah. So he he was he was kind of the perfect Fulham manager for me because he, the values and of the club and and the people who support Fulham, um, they would be able to recognise a lot of themselves in in a guy like Roy Hodgson. So so that was perfect. Um, but uh, you know, I've had good managers since, but no one comes close. I have to be honest about that. so I think for me, he's a he's, uh, number one, uh, and and no one's really close to him.
0: Well, what did you make of mark hughes he was the man that took over from roy he never really seemed to endear himself to the fans how did you find working under him and that season in particular
2: it was a very different setup because mark hughes obviously brought a whole team of coaches with him um, and all in all i think they were good uh but uh, having said what i just said any any guy or any team coming after roy would be a little bit of a step down in my book so but credit to to Mark Hughes because you know I remember we were struggling the first half of that season and he he tried to change a few things, um, especially in our defensive organisation and and we kind of got together and asked him if we could not just play the way Roy had taught us to play and from that point on we we went on to have a really strong season. The second half was uh, was fantastic. I think uh, I think around Christmas we were in the relegation zone and I think we ended up eighth or something. So. Um, uh, I was disappointed when he left, to be honest. Uh, I, think, uh, I think he will be disappointed about that as well. I think he probably made a mistake to leave. Um, and uh, Fulham would, would have been better off had he stayed uh, a few more years, to be honest. And it, Mark Hughes left. He, he said uh, one
3: of his reasons kind of stuck with the Fulham fans a bit, that Fulham lacked ambition, which uh, we were keen to remind him when he went to QPR. <laughs> um, do, 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 do you agree with him to an extent?
2: Well, yes and no. I think uh, lack lack of ambition. I always look at the Premier League clubs now, and any anyone outside of the top six, um, it's really a different playing field to to the top six. So, for all the other teams, I think if you if you finish in the top ten, so seven, eight, ninth or tenth, that's a fantastic season, and that's where we finished. We finished seven with Roy and eighth with Mark Hughes, and that for me is is uh, probably uh, realistically, the maximum of, of Fulham's potential. Uh, so, um, I think we should have just set the bar there and say, can we do this again? Uh, and then that would have been fine. And at some point, if someone came in with uh, with loads of money, then maybe you could have challenged for something more. But uh, realistically, you can't compete with the big guns uh, unless you uh, pour some. Uh, some millions of pounds into it, um, and also I think I think there's a big mistake in football where where you, people uh, think and managers think that it's only about getting the best players on paper. Uh, for me, the art of management is is to put together a group of a group of players who complement each other, who, who are willing to work in, in this pull in the same direction and and uh, follow the same script. And I think uh, those golden years at Fulham was, was the was the greatest example of just that. Um, there was no real stars in that team. No one came with a massive transfer fee. It was all just good guys uh, doing their best. Uh, and I'd like to see some more of that in, in, um, in football these days even.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's the model that Leicester also followed when, when they went to win, win the Premier League. And I, there's definitely, if it's done right with an experienced manager at the head, it can happen again. Uh, you talk about um, the way that the club was was dealt with. What, what did you make of Mohamed Al-Fayed? What was he like as a chairman? Uh, how often did you see him? Was he often around the ground?
2: No, he wasn't um he came when <laughs> he came that first year uh, during the great escape he came when when there were desperate times um so i don't I never really knew him that well i think uh, I respect him though because I think he probably didn't know much about football if i'm honest uh but he was clever enough to surround himself with people who knew uh, and to trust the right people um so uh he he deserves a lot of credit for that for just for employing Roy Hodgson and for trusting his judgment uh and then i think probably if he go if he go to the point where he sold the club i think it was it was kind of a financial decision from him because at, at the time it seemed as if we'd sold some good players hadn't really replaced them so, from a business point of view, it looked to me like a like a good time to sell a football club if you wanted to sell it, and we were probably left a little bit short in terms of the quality of players and uh, on the pitch. So, business point of view, it was a sensible thing from him, but it probably left the club in a um, in um, not an ideal situation. I think.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's a lot of talk about the the, the kind of handover period, but just before that happened, Martin Yole came in, obviously, and he splashed out on some some big names like Brian Ruiz and Dimitar Berbatov, uh, who are obviously both very, very gifted and talented players, but, you know, not necessarily in the same mould as as the things you were talking about earlier in terms of that kind of hardworking kind of team unit kind of way. You named them both in your eleven players who, who trained least in the gym, which made headlines uh, about this time last year. But what were they really like to play with? Was it outside of the gym? Was it interesting to be on a pitch with players of that caliber, that quality?
2: This was a period of, of uh, transition, obviously, where Martin O'Neill came in and he, he wanted to play more attractive football. He was uh, he, he was more interested in the offensive side of the game than the defensive side. Um, and I remember when he came in, he said, like, we, we don't really need to practice uh, defending because you know it already. Um, and already there for me, it was a bit of a, an issue because it's not its not like you practice something and then you know it for, forever. You have to keep repeating and perfecting it all the time. So um, a lot of the players who came in um, during his reign were excellent players. Uh, Ruiz, Berbatov, fantastic individual players. Uh, But but the real real trick for me as a manager is to put it all together into a system. And I think there was a a few years there where we we signed great players, but they didn't really fit into what we were. Um, And at some point, I looked around and I couldn't even tell what we were because we were definitely not the Roy Hodgson team anymore and we probably weren't even the Martin Yole team. So... We got stuck in between uh, different styles of playing, uh, and uh, obviously the results uh, uh, were were bad for it. Could you pick a particular moment during
3: that season, or, or or even before then, where you thought things are starting to to turn, and you're thinking, well, maybe Fulham aren't going to be the success that. They are with the current regime, was you, could you pick a particular moment or was it more slow?
2: No, I think it was slow and gradual, uh, you know, transfer window by transfer window. Um, I, I was always, you know, whenever, the, whenever there was a new player, you, you'd always uh, kind of have an open mind towards them and, and, and back them and try and support them to do well. But um, as the years went by, we kind of lost that. Uh, that togetherness that we had um, uh, during my first years uh, at Fulham, and, and um, I think if if you have to pick one point, then then when we sold Clint Dempsey and and Moussa Dembele at the same time, that's when I thought to myself, this this could be hard because those were two absolutely fantastic players, uh, and they were of that great mentality as well. So so I feel like we kind of. I don't know if it was a uh, conscious decision by the club or anyone noticed this happening uh, as much as we did in the changing room, but for me, were re- that's, that's a real warning sign when, when both of those players left at the same time.
0: What did you make of Martin yo after when losing 4-0 to Liverpool at Anfield, uh, the season that we did finally get relegated, that, that Fulham shouldn't be expected? to win these kind of games. It infuriated the fan base. And surely as captain at the time, that comment must have been so degrading to hear.
2: When you're in the Premier League, obviously you're going to play against bigger teams, they're on paper much stronger, but then you need to compensate with something. And and what we always compensated with was organisation, togetherness, pulling in the same direction, all these things that I've been talking about. And when you don't have that anymore, then it just becomes 11 against 11, uh, and our 11 doing whatever we do, and their 11 doing whatever they do, but better. Uh, and then and then you will lose uh, against Liverpool. So. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure Mar- because Martin Jol never really, he wasn't there when, when we did so well so he would probably not have that uh, reference point um, but you can never accept to lose 4-0 against anyone I don't care if you play uh, Barcelona or Brazil you, you can't lose 4-0 and, and you, you can't kind of give any excuse for that so um, yeah that that last year was, was tough in many ways there was uh, change of management a few times there was uh an obvious decline, so um, th- that was um, obviously my, my toughest year that eventually ended in relegation.
1: Well, well, obviously, Martignol didn't last too much longer after that 4-0 loss, but what was it like when you realised that Felix McGath was coming in as the manager? Were, were people aware of his reputation as kind of a, a slave driver, if you will?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were well aware. Uh, obviously, we had two we had two or three german players at the time Sascha Rieter and um what's his name the Paul, the, the trick yeah him and the tricky wing the jagga mm. um and uh, they were telling some stories but you know again new manager comes in my my philosophy was always you have to have an open mind here and and uh, what you want from a manager is is for him to help you really isn't it so when we're in uh, when we're down there and facing a relegation battle you just want some guidance so i always have an open mind and i try and go with uh, with w- whatever guidance they have and you hope it's going to work um, obviously the problem with Magath is that I, I realized within a week that this guy's not going to help us he's going to make it harder uh, and and that makes for an incredibly frustrating time because you not only feel as if you're you've got your back against the wall. You you also need to kind of win despite the manager, uh, or uh, uh, he, he's not giving you the guidance that you need. He's actually making it harder. Uh, so so those months there in in the spring of uh, 2014, isn't it? Those those were my toughest times as a player. Yeah, it sounded
3: like a uh, a big uphill struggle, much like. Uh... Magat's um, training techniques. Um, what was... It obviously didn't, it didn't pan out for us, it didn't pan out for the players in the end, and, which was unfortunate. When relegation was confirmed at Stoke, what was he like? I've heard something that he tried to lay the blame on the players. You know, how was he like in the dressing room afterwards?
2: No, he was, he was kind of... He accepted it fairly quickly. For me, it was just... You have to remember, I was there for six and a half years and really could split my my Fulham times into two main periods. One was a was a, a fantastic adventure for, for two and a half years under Roy and, and a little bit on the mark users as well. And then it was a gradual decline, uh, which ended in relegation. And then I had the full story, whereas he was obviously he'd just come in and he was probably thinking about next year and, and championship and how to get back up. Uh, whereas for me, it was just, I think it's fair to say I, I had a... <laughs> stronger affiliation with the club than him so I could see the big picture and I knew the fact that uh, you know relegation means that some of the people that you know and you care about in the club they'll lose their jobs uh, there'll be less interest around the club so in the world of football that's the worst thing that can happen so I found, I found it really hard.
0: Let's move on to uh, slightly better times Brad obviously uh, there's only so much we want to be talking about the uh, the season that we went down now uh, Jack mentioned it earlier y- you got a lot of attention last year when you were asked to pick the 11 players uh, who trained the least it was in the press a lot so we we thought we'd try and get you to pick a slightly more positive uh 11. C- can you pick a best 11 of the Fulham players that you played alongside now I re- I reckon I can guess one or two of them but it'd be really interesting to see what you pick so should we go for a traditional four four two? 4 as that's what Roy loved so much?
2: Yes it probably has to be um I'm glad we're doing it on a positive note because my <laughs> I did it, when I did the the worst 11 as has been known it's the the, the story was just the lazy guys in the gym uh, but obviously <laughs> I've learned since that you can't say stuff on a podcast cuz someone will pick the, the worst bits but this is a positive thing so kinda, this team will look like a lot like the European uh, team um, with uh, Mark Schwarzer in goal uh, who's uh who's head and shoulders above any other goalkeeper I've played with. Um, top guy, top professional. Uh, on the right back, it's difficult. Uh, whether to pick Pansel or Chris Baird could have been either one, but uh, probably Johnny Pansel for his famous laps around the cottage. <laughs> uh, he, he, he has to get the spot. Uh, in defend, uh, centre-back, obviously Aaron Hughes um, and myself. And then Koncheski has to be the left-back. Uh, so that back four there, solid. Um, and then central midfield, I'm going to go with Danny Murphy, and one of the few players who's going to get a spot there. Uh, who wasn't in the European team is going to have to be Musa Dembele because he's uh, he was just he's just the best player I have played with, to be honest. He was fantastic. Um, and on the wings, probably Duffer, Damien Duff, and Clint Dempsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, up up top. Um, Tomorrow and Johnson has to be. <laughs> yeah, no, no spot, no
0: spot for uh, Berber
2: or Zoltan Gira. No, oh, it's tough to leave Zoltan out, but uh, no, no spot for Berber. He, I need team players in my team. I think your team would have gone a, a long way. Yeah, well, yeah, is what I yeah. say I you're pretty it.
0: much just the European yeah. team with Moussa Dembele I
2: think yeah, that was uh,
3: that, one hell yeah. of a team we, yeah, would have would d- <laughs> we would have won the Champions League with that
2: team <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well if Roy was the manager possibly <laughs> yeah.
3: well I'm convinced Palace are going to win the league next year with Roy at the helm
2: well I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they finished top 10 this year and and I'm sure it's it's a view shared by all Fulham fans that I'm just delighted to see he's doing well because I, I spoke to him after the obviously the, the European uh, Um, the the exit from the Euros in France and and I'm sure many people thought that's the end of Roy Hodgson as a manager so uh, uh, I spoke to him after that and he said he he probably has one more job in him and and he's doing that so well now so uh, it's it's really nice to see he deserves um, all the credit he's getting at the moment
1: he's um he, he's a very special man and and we just wanted to to get your view on, on someone who's also very special to the podcast this uh, this year and last year is a current Fulham centre midfielder and fellow Norwegian Stefan Johansson who's been a, a sensation i suppose was was, this, was the word last season um, this season has has seemed to be a little bit more um yeah, he's been injured a little bit and has been a bit more. But what, what's your view? Do you know Stefan and and kind of what what kind of he brings to the seat?
2: Yeah, I know him really well. Obviously, I've played with him um, on the national team yeah. many times, and uh, we spoke before before he joined Fulham. And I said, uh, I told him all the stuff I've told you now. That uh, really, you can't find a better club than than Fulham. And uh, I'm sure he's, he's gone on to, uh, to realise I was right. So it's really nice to see him uh, playing well uh, and obviously, first and foremost, see the team play so well now. So uh, hopefully, hopefully this is the year where uh, we can get back where we belong. official.:
3: talking about you, Breda, what are you up to? You know you're very busy with with your TV work for Norwegian TV at the moment.
2: Yeah, very busy. It's it's funny because you you think when you you've had a long uh, and uh, eventful career uh, as a player, you think it's going to calm down a little bit when you when you finish. But it's uh, it's been the contrary really, uh, where I'm traveling a lot and, and uh, doing a lot of work in the studio and also on site covering the Premier League. So I don't get to to watch uh, as many Fulham matches as as I would like, but um, I'm keeping myself busy which is the main thing i think uh, you know it's been it's been known for a long time that it can be a challenge to 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 finish your career as a player because nothing's really going to uh, to look like that and feel like that but uh, for me it's been okay i haven't really had any problems uh, with with stopping playing and uh, and i keep myself busy and i'm doing uh, things that i enjoy and things that are challenging so uh, so it's been all good
0: Breda, when do we next expect to see you at the cottage?
2: You know, actually, I'm. Uh, I've actually found some time, so I'm going next. Uh, what is it? Next week, I'm going uh, for the Nottingham Forest game. So oh, okay, Hopefully, um, I need to see the team. They're, they're, they get so much praise now, and uh, mm-hmm. with the six nil against Burton, I'm hoping for a for a repeat of that when I when I watch them at the, against Forest we hope so too <laughs>
0: we, we had Zoltan Gear at the cottage uh, a few weeks ago and it's just great to see uh, the legends from that Europa team come back so I'm, I imagine you will get the, the warmest of warm receptions um, Breda we've had such a good time chatting to you today on Fulhamish it's been an absolute honour uh, to hear all about the times from the great escape to Europa and obviously uh, the tough few seasons that followed that but um, always brilliant Breda thank you so much for appearing on Fulhamish
2: thank you so much Breda thanks. cheers Breda oh it's been an absolute pleasure lads thanks, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So uh, I, I, obviously, as you know, I've been uh, hoping to come and see you in person, but uh, we had to do it over the phone. But hopefully, it came out okay.
1: Well, we'll, do, we'll make that happen as well. We'll, uh, we'll when when we get some time and when it works for you, we'll uh, we'll definitely get a get a meet up in and another another chat about these uh, good times and, and what's going on currently. That's great. That's great.
2: And uh, my best wishes to all the Fulham fans, all the great people uh, supporting Fulham. Um, Hopefully, see you see you uh, at the cottage, or oh, most of you at the cottage, soon. For sure.
0: Definitely. Thank you, Breda.
2: Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Well, how amazing was that? The legendary Breda Hangeland on Fulhamish. Thank you so much to Breda for taking the time out to speak to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, Fulhamish will be back on Monday uh, with a review of the Nottingham Forest game, which Breda is going to be present at himself. It's going to be great to see him down in SW6. So to Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. And to Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We'll you